So I totally agree. And like, it's, it's super hard. And like, just thinking back to like our first year, two, three of business, like how much money we just left on the table. It's, it's just like hurts my soul to think about like, cause pricing is very hard. And then again, you're not your customer. So like, just because I wouldn't pay 200 plus dollars for a little trade doesn't mean other people won't. And I, I just feel like to be successful, you have to chase that higher end market. That's the voice of Jeff Banky, co-founder of Tumos Design. I'm excited to talk with him and his co-founder, Jess, right after this word from our sponsor. This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Jobber. Jobber brings people and technology together by keeping jobs on track, customers happy, and your business organized. Jobber also just recently launched a new grant program, Boost by Jobber a program providing $100,000 to 20 small local home service businesses across the U.S. and Canada. So whether you're just starting your business or you're a well-established business, you're invited to apply for a grant. Just visit BoostByJobber.com. That's BoostByJobber.com. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Jess and Jeff Banky, owners of the Wisconsin-based furniture company, Two Moose Design. Jess and Jeff are at a turning point in their business. Having found overwhelming success with their line of home goods, they are now setting their eyes towards their next goal, furniture design. But as they move further into the world of furniture, I want to sit down and reflect with them on their home goods line prosperity and the steps that brought them to where they are today. We talk about how to conquer selling on Etsy, the positive sides of partnerships, dealing with competitors knocking off your creations, and much more. But before they were widely known, before they learned how to run a business, back even before they built their first giant clock, they were just looking for something creative that they could call their own. It was, it was kind of an accident. I mean, it, it wasn't, but at the same time, we were kind of like, both at the stages where we were young, we, we just got married, so we we're trying to figure out what the next chapter of our life was. And like, both of, we had decent jobs, but we just felt like there was more out there to accomplish. So we were kind of just brainstorming business ideas. And then we were always kind of in DOI. We were renovating our house because before our wedding, we had the wedding at our house. So like the whole sprint up to the wedding was to renovate the house to make like the yard and the house look nice. And then while we were doing that, our sister-in-law actually reached out and asked if we could make her a couple things for their, their for their baby room. So then she's like, "Oh, I found this this shelf on Etsy." And then we kind of fell down the wormhole of what the what in the world was Etsy. So that one shelf kind of sparked it off, and we like looked around and figured, "Hey, we could we could probably do this." And then I guess we just kind of hit that right wave at the right time, and we just took off on Etsy. You're very strong on brand recognition how much of that was planned out and how much of that did you just walk into as who you are personality wise standing out yeah well first of all thank you <laughs> um but i i would say it was planned pretty well we initially when we you know thought we, we were going to do a business we had been thinking about names but we wanted to make sure it was something that was easily searchable and wasn't out there so we kind of started a brainstorm list and would start checking just google and stuff and see the plan was to have the business be something that we could kind of go anywhere with so we wanted to make sure it wasn't like jeff's woodworks it was that's that even was broad that we could take even like jeff's woodwork i feel that's broad enough to where you'd be fine but if you 
like I always use Bob's cutting board today as an example. Like no one, I don't know any Bob's cutting boards, but just if you start out with that, putting like Bob's tables and then maybe you want to start venturing out into other stuff. I just feel it kind of corners you in and people might not be willing to reach out and ask what you're looking for. Yeah, that totally makes sense. You know, you don't, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself, especially when you're just starting out in it and you haven't really fleshed out exactly what you want the business to look like. It doesn't make sense to lock yourself in with something. And it's a, it's a, it's a catchy, it's a catchy name. It's a catchy logo and it is really good on search results. So that, yeah. that, that was a good, that was a good pick and it, it's, it's worked well for you. It definitely worked in our favor. And I, I feel like the designs aspects pretty broad enough to where, I mean, we could go do interior design if we really want to, or, you know, there's just endless possibilities. Yeah. But, and like you said, though, like when you start out, you just really have no idea what you really want to do. And we just kind of, like we started out with black pipe furniture, like that industrial style looking stuff, because I'd say that's relatively easy. You go to Home Depot, you buy all them pieces, you screw them together and you pretty much just stain a board and screw it on there. But I mean, and as of now, that stuff, I would never make anything like that. I would, I'm definitely not a fan of the industrial, but starting out, it was easy to make. I thought it looked cool then, but you, you evolve into who knows what as you go along. Yeah. As, as, as your business grows, you change and you figure out what's working, what's not working. You do a lot of your business off of Etsy, like you said, how has that evolved? Because that is an online marketplace that you don't necessarily have total control over, but you've really made a name for yourself on there. And that's where you get a lot of your business. How has that relationship evolved? Um, so Etsy's a weird one just because it's extra intimidating because we get most of our sales through Etsy, but Etsy controls the market. It's kind of like Amazon. Like at any point they could change the algorithm or do who knows what. And that's always like in the back of our head, that's a little scary, but at the same time, we do so well on Etsy. It's hard to dial back Etsy and kind of venture into other, other streams of revenue just because we have so much time invested into Etsy and like fulfilling those orders. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be a bad idea to go reach out to real estate agents and stuff like that to find other avenues of money. But at the same time, you can barely keep up with production as it is. So, yeah, I think the benefit to Etsy is that you can reach a ton of people that you don't have to be nearby or you don't have to market to directly. They just search for something. And if you're selling that item and you have a good enough picture and product, they'll click through it and buy from you. You get a lot of business from there, but you are also a small shop. You probably have more animals there than people working in, in your <laughs> shop, uh, but you get a lot of orders. How do you deal with the workflow of getting all these orders in and keeping everything on track when yes, you know what you're building, you're not building totally custom out of the box things all the time, but you still have a lot of orders coming in that need to be fulfilled and they're not always the exact same thing. How are you dealing with your workflow? So when we started out, like I've always been into like business workflow and all that kind of stuff. That's always like interested me. I've also taken like companies I've worked at paid me to do like lean courses where they teach you about business workflow. So I think that really helped me in the whole like flow of everything. And then also when we first started out, we didn't really know anything and you just try to get all the sales you can possibly get. So we started out super broad. And then the further we went out, 
the further we niched everything down and that helped a ton. And then I do most of like the building and then just organizes everything in the back. So like that's super key as well. Like no one on Instagram sees that just because like all the hard work Jess puts in on the Etsy and the website and organizing all the orders for me and all that stuff. Like that's just not exciting. So like, it's hard to show Jess's aspect of everything when in reality she's doing just as much work as me. It's just not flashy and cool. So, I mean, it's, it's organization. You got to keep all them orders organized because we have orders coming from our website or just coming from Etsy. And then she breaks them down into a manageable list for me for like the 30 items or whatever I make a week. She just organizes it and puts it all together. Like if you came into the shop, like 25% of the way through my process, all the items look the same because the clocks are flat, the trays are flat. And then until the clocks get cut into a circle, it's essentially the same thing. So I'm just cutting them into my kits. And then until they get further along the process, they're pretty much the same thing. I'm just running them all through the drum sander, cut the circle, and then for the trays, I just attach the sides. So they're both flat, I would, easy to ship items, but I mean, shipping's never really easy. A lot of people want to forget about it, and it's, it's a, a forgettable thing when you're in the shop, but in reality, if you don't have that business side really locked down, then you're not shipping out these orders. You're not calculating what you need for the next run you're you're basically in the dark and and you're building which is fun and people like the way that looks but it it's not it's not a good way to run the business it's it's tough but not to like discourage anybody but it's it's from the outside in especially on instagram it's just i think it just looks way more appealing than it is just because like, there's so much that goes into it. Like in the back of my mind, I'm constantly thinking about the next order that needs to get out and the next, just the next step you need to take. Cause every day we're just starting over the process. Like, do I have enough wood? Do I have enough finish? Oh, I got that weird job coming up. Do I have metal for that? And, like, there's just, your mind's just always constantly going like the, the freedom of being self-employed is great, but you also lose a ton of freedom because some days it'd be, it would be nice just to go to work from nine to five and then go home and completely forget about everything. But like, I mean, I'm sure you understand, but it's, it's some people just aren't wired like that. Like I, I enjoy being busy all the time and kind of keeping my hands in a bunch of different areas and working on new things, like work running the business and then trying to grow YouTube. And like, it's just, even if I retire, I'm just, I'm just that kind of person. And I think you really kind of need to have that mentality to really succeed because it's a grind especially for the first three, four years, you're like, you're going to be working super hard. And I, I think a lot of people overlook the amount of work that goes into starting a business and keeping that business rolling because you can lose momentum pretty quick. Uh, it's 100% a grind. And people who aren't in it, who aren't neck deep in running their own business, don't understand that there are no weekends. There are no days off because if you're not running it, and yes, as, as businesses progress, you get employees and you work on time management and things like that, but you always have to have the business in the back of your mind because it ends with you. And if you're not doing it, then no one's doing it. And no one's gonna be as excited about it as you are and you can't trust it to anyone else. And that's what's great that you guys are partners in this because you have each other's back and you can 
have somebody who understands exactly what you're going through. How do you enjoy having a partner in this? Because there's, there's a lot of people who go at it alone and it's hard, but when there's a partner and you have the, the skill sets that complement each other, it's, it's a great feeling. Oh yeah. And like, like my hat's off to, I mean, even like you, for instance, like people that have went out there, grounded out and did it all by yourself. Like the, a lot of people are like, Oh, you guys grew and took off so fast. But a lot of people don't realize that like we were both doing this full time and Jess and everyone's always like, Oh, well, how do you guys work together? That's gotta be so hard. But in reality, like we don't really work together. Most of the time Jess is in the house working on, the next listing or redoing listings or we'll be slow that month. So she'll go back in and like change all the photos or there, there's just always something going on. And then my skill sets, like the building and the doing all that and her skill sets, like the design and her eye and keeping the website and everything rolling. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge advantage to have someone that you can do that with. Well, just to have somebody you can bounce ideas off of. So it's not just your thought and you're like, Oh, this is a great idea. But a lot of times we both, we're always going back and forth and just contemplating like what's the better move to make and whether it's a design aesthetic or like the functionality of a piece, I'll want something and he'll bring me back to like what's reality for building it. And Cause she'll have the concept in her head and then she's like, oh, I want, I want it to be like this. And be like, but in reality, like I can't really do that because of, you know, X and Y, but she doesn't, like I understand the building and the construction on a deeper level versus she has the vision. And it's just, I, I think a lot of people struggle with the idea that like not all your ideas are great. Like if you post something to Etsy and that item doesn't sell, like that's normal, like who cares? Like post 30 things and if two of them stick, great. That's like realistically the odds. Yeah. But I think too many people give up too fast versus when there's two of us, I can like, oh, Jess, I have this really good idea. And she's like, well, I, I don't yeah. think that's gonna be a great idea. And yeah. then we'll bounce back and forth until we agree on something that'll be hopefully a good idea. But again, like not even if you think it's a good idea or five people think it's a good idea, it's what the masses of people think is cool. Yeah. You're not your customer. You need to make what sells, not what you just personally like. I mean, that, that can be something you do, but that might just be a side project versus something that's bringing in the money and selling on a regular basis. Exactly. Like starting out, like you can kind of hone what you like, like we did, we started with the black pipe furniture and like at the time we didn't realize we didn't like that, but like you kind of go along and figure out what you like and what's cool. But even now, like we don't really get to design and build all of our own furniture. I mean, at times we do because of like YouTube and stuff, but most of the time we're just making trays and clocks, which isn't the most exciting, but like that pays the bills. And sure. I would like to, design all of our own furniture and do all that one day but like it's just you got to work with what you got and make yeah. it one make it happen one day at a time it's great that you both have each other to to check each other like that it's it's hard because a lot of people come into it thinking that it's just the building side and it's definitely not it is just as much a business as just building and yeah. I, i'd say that's also like part of the advantage of selling online because sure i mean etsy people will post to etsy and don't get sales and then they get discouraged like oh etsy sucks but like etsy's like anything else you get out what you put in and jess spends a lot of time honing and working on etsy and the website and then i mean i guess it's work either way but for the people that don't sell online you're 
you're doing just as much groundwork. You're reaching out to real estate agents. You're putting ads wherever, like for local ads, you're just always looking for that next sale and getting it going. And little markets, stocking up all of your inventory so you can do a weekend sale. Like, like that, again, that first couple of years is rough, but like once you're like five or whatever years into it, you kind of build that reputation versus an Etsy. We have an established shop now. Like we have a bunch of reviews and we have a bunch of sales. So like to the average person looking at Etsy, we're more trusted than a new shop that doesn't have sales. And then for the people that don't sell online, like you have that local reputation, like, oh, well, Ethan builds all these tables. You should go reach out and see what he does or what he'll charge you for whatever. But you, you build up that word of mouth reputation local versus us. We have the online presence. So it's in a nutshell, it's the same, but you're still working just as hard getting sales as you are building furniture. And then until you get that established name, like you might be working on getting sales more than you are actually building furniture. Yeah. That, that's that's the only way to run it because you can build as much furniture as you want in your shop, but if no one knows it's there, then you're just basically building furniture for the shop. Yeah. And that's the tough part. Like we've, like we want to build more large furniture and do all that, but like I, I can't just go make a bunch of furniture and then have it just sitting around with nowhere to live. And then it's just like, it's it's easier to have clients come to you and have an idea in mind or like they'll trust you to design something than like building out 10 pieces of, well, you actually kind of do that. You have like a line of furniture, which is amazing. That that's kind of like, I feel like a lot of people's goal is to sell their own designs. There you go. You just, you just switched the podcast. Now you're interviewing me. I appreciate, I appreciate it. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you how I got. Um... And like, I think Philip Morley is another one that just, they just, you're just great at designing and people just love that aspect, but I'm sure it didn't start out just like that. Like, I'm sure you like start building built-ins or like you got to start somewhere and you're just not going to have that reputable name right away. You're talking about getting into building more large scale furniture, but I want to pull it back to the smaller stuff because pricing for things that are large pricing for a full wall of, of bookcases or a 20 foot dining table you have wiggle room in your pricing and it's large and people understand that it's going to cost a lot, but something smaller, uh, home decor things, they're really hard to price because they're small and people automatically associate size with price when it comes to things like that. How do you go about pricing your pieces when you know that they're going to be on the smaller end, but sometimes smaller things take as much work as bigger things. So I totally agree. And like, it's, it's super hard. And like, just thinking back to like our first year, two, three of business, like how much money we just left on the table. It's, it's just like, hurts my soul to think about like, cause pricing is very hard. And then again, you're not your customer. So like, just because I wouldn't pay 200 plus dollars for a little trade doesn't mean other people won't. And I, I just feel like to be successful, you kind of have to have to chase that higher end market. Because when we started out, we priced everything cheap because we had no idea. We looked at the competition and priced our stuff just below them to get some sales. And when we, that first like couple months when we started selling stuff cheap, we had people reaching out and like, oh, hey, could you, if, if I buy two, could you do it for cheaper? Or like asking, hey, could we get a discount for whatever reason? And when you, you're selling that higher end market, that you just don't get questions like that. Like they, people that have more money, I feel 
intentionally want to spend more because price hopefully comes with quality. So they'll just buy that little higher end item and hopefully get a better item than deal with a cheap item that they're not happy with. And for setting the prices, it a lot of people don't realize that I sell or I make 30 trays a week. So like for me to make one tray is just not really worth it. But when I'm batching out 30 trays, I can sell them for a little cheaper because I'm making 30 trays that week and doing that same step 30 times versus just making that one tray and not making a whole lot of money on it. So it's just far more efficient to make a bunch of them. And for setting the price point, like if we start, let's say like we're gonna, like right now we're gonna come out with some cutting boards just to get one more smaller item that's relatively easy to make, just, just easier than the trays. And to set that price, we'll go on Etsy and see like what the competition is. Well, we won't look at like the lower competition. We'll look at like the mid to the high level competition that have a bunch of sales. They have a higher price point. Their images look good. And then we'll go from there and we'll probably start at market value, what they're selling at. Because like you said, it's, it's hard. Like I can't just put an hourly number on it because I'm going to be making 10 cutting boards at a crack. So it's harder to kind of put them numbers on it. So we'll start at market value. And then as it starts to pick up steam and that listing gets traction, we'll slowly raise that price $5. We'll raise it $10. And then we'll slowly go till there until we're kind of selling at a little bit higher value than everyone else for that perceived quality value. Because we're, we're in the end changing the market that has more money. A lot of our furniture goes to New York or California where that price point is just generally naturally higher. Etsy is, we'll think of it as a pond and everyone's swimming around in it. And you've mentioned it a couple times where you're looking at other sellers, you're looking at other products on there because everyone's competing in this same pond. I know that, especially in a confined space, in a confined selling environment, there are people who knock off other people's work. And maybe intentionally because they're doing well, maybe not intentionally because there's only so many different types of cutting boards somebody can do. But I know that you've experienced people knocking things off that you've made because of your success. How do you deal with that in a marketplace and just as a creative person in general who's putting their heart and soul and time and effort and energy into building these things and then somebody sees their success and then just knocks it off? So it's right away. It's just it's just super frustrating and discouraging. But in the end, like you just you just can't let it bother you because no matter what you make, if you have success in it, people want a taste of that success too. So if it's working good for you, people are gonna try to knock you off, sell it cheaper, do all that. So as we've evolved, we've tried to make, we try to make it harder for people to knock us off. Even though it's impossible, it's not gonna, like there's nothing you really can do because someone's gonna have the same skill set or better than you, that's gonna try to do it better than you can. And like for the trays, like we make them out of pine and we've also started offering them in walnut and other exotic woods that are harder to get and not everybody has a lumber yard near them so i mean just something like that that little edge that one less person is going to be able to knock you off with is even better or we'll spray a nice finish on it that most people probably can't do because that's i mean it's not something that's super easy to do and like right away with like we sold a bunch of pet feeders these like feeding stations that you put your dog bowl food and your water in it and 
we try to diversify ourselves from everyone else because you don't want to go into a market and just copy everybody. That's just, that's just not the way to do it. And if you're just in the market for copying everybody, you're never going to make it in the long term. I can promise you that. If you can't have your own original ideas that are unique and you came up with on yourself, it's, it's just not going to work for you because you constantly got to be changing that, that dynamic. And Well, you're already going to be behind the trends if you're chasing other people's big ideas because they came up with it and it's popular. And by the time you come out with your own version of that, it's kind of already starting to go beyond. Exactly. And for the pet feeders, one of the ways we kind of diversified or like differentiated ourselves from everyone else was we saw all these nice feeders on there and we like, we came up with a design that was a little bit different than the others that were selling well, but not really many people offered a customization aspect of it. So we ended up getting a CNC. Well, Jess actually painted them all by hand until we got a CNC. And then we'd offered these custom name plaques in different shapes. Like we offered like a bone and like this different stuff. But at the time, nobody really had that. And so we offered that custom name plaque that skyrocketed us to the top of the listings for the pet feeders. And we sold a ton of pet feeders. But then a couple of months later, everyone started offering the name plaque. Now we got to come out with a new design to kind of get ahead of this trend. And it's just kind of staying and constantly evolving and making yourself look a little bit different than everyone else. The market's always changing. So you have to continue to evolve with it and anticipate what the next trend is going to be and what, what people will want to buy. Which is kind of why we're trying to like, we're always just adding new, new items. Like most of them, like we said before, like if you post 10 items, if you're lucky, two or three will stick. And which is why we're going to kind of come out with cutting boards now. Just, it's just another item that might take off. It might not. Like we came out with these noodle boards and we, I honestly didn't really expect them to sell that well, but they sell pretty dang good. And they're, we can charge more for them and they're easier to make than, uh, than like, like the regular surfing trays we sell. So it's just, you just got to keep coming out with new stuff and just hope a third of it sticks. That's all you can hope for. And you've, done it you are a successful business you have been in business for many years you are making money doing what you want to be doing there are a lot of people out there who are thinking of jumping into this world either in furniture or home goods and there's also people who are already doing this and they're out on their own what's some advice that you could give to the people who are looking to be as successful as you both have been? I, 100%, I would say my biggest tip was be, be open-minded. Like you have to be willing to give and take. Like you have to be willing to build stuff you don't necessarily want to build, especially right away. And if someone gives you criticism on what you're doing, like take it. Like you need to, like you don't know everything. You don't know what's best and you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. You have to just keep pushing through and just keep showing up, just keep doing it every day. Like it's not easy. It, it, it is super hard. And some days are harder than others. Then the, the highs and lows are, as you know, they're, they're super highs and they're super lows. And you just got to kind of take it by the horns and deal with it. I would say from like a practical standpoint, the biggest thing for us was getting all of our debts paid off for jumping from having our full-time day jobs to doing this full-time. We made sure our vehicles were paid off and pretty much everything but the house so that we could go full force into this and not really have to worry as much about that. And I know if you have kids, that's going to be a lot different, but just kind of getting, getting all your ducks in a row and making sure that 
this isn't the right next move for you, but also just showing up and doing it, working hard at it every single day. So there's two things there. One is like the, the money aspect of it. Like you really need to have your finances in line. In line. You need to kind of understand how money works. And like, because if you, if, if you got a bunch of loans and you're making just enough money to get by with your business, like you're going to be super stressed the entire time. If you got a bunch of loans and you're just barely making enough money, like you need to be able to ensure you can make enough money to live off of and save a little. Cause you don't want to be stressing out about how you're going to afford them the materials next week or something like that. Like that. I just, yeah. When your business is part-time, it's kind of fun money. Like you, you're working your full-time day job and you get your paycheck at the end of the week. And then everything that you make from your little side hustle is extra. When, once you make the switch, like that's what you're counting on. That's what pays your bills. So it's not the extra you get to take and spend or go on a little you know, trip or go to dinner or do whatever. Also people, like if you sell a table for a thousand dollars, you don't get to keep that thousand dollars. And I yeah. think, I think a lot of people lose that disconnect. They're like, Oh, I made a thousand dollars selling that table. You, probably made $400 selling that table. So like you need to account for everything, like your materials, your taxes and all that. And when you're just starting out as a hobby, like you're probably not paying taxes. You're probably just taking that cash and like you need to account for all that. And also people's timeline, I think gets a little skewed. Like people are like, oh, you guys scaled your business so fast, but there's two of us. Like if we don't have kids or anything, if you have three kids and something like that, it might take you five, six years, but you just got to keep grinding away. Like it's not going to happen overnight. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You just need to be have realistic goals, but set high goals. Don't set super low goals. I mean, if that gets you going, I guess. Well, thank you both for sitting down with me. Uh, I really do appreciate it. I really do appreciate you sharing your time and your knowledge and everything that you've learned over the years of doing this. Congratulations on all your success. And I wish you much more success in the future. Same with you. We wish you a bunch of success as well. It was a fun time being on the podcast. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.